Come, and you will find life. Sound good? Anybody want life? I do. I want life. I don't want to just live. I want life. I want more. That's what we're going to talk about today. So we continue in Isaiah 55. Pastor Tom started out this series last week with verses 1 and 2. Today we're going to continue with 3 through 5. And over the next uh, four more weeks after this, we're going to continue uh, going back and forth, him and then me and then him and then me. So uh, if you like Tom better, come next week, forget the week after, take a vacation. If you like me better, stay home next week. No, I'm just telling you. But if you do miss a week, they are available online at our website, gcvineyard.org. You can download them as an MP3, listen to them if you need to. We even put the, uh, the, the note sheet on there so you can uh, fill in your blanks and all that good stuff too. And that's available all the time. So if you ever need that, if you ever miss a week and miss us, then there you go. But I'll tell you what, I'm excited about doing this series. First of all, like Tom said last week, Isaiah is just chock full of great stuff. If you've never read the book of Isaiah, get it out. Just just crack open the, the book in the middle, the Bible in the middle, and maybe take a right a little bit, okay? It's right there, Isaiah. And it is full of such good promises and prophecies and good news. And it's really cool. There's some great stuff that happens there. And and Tom, like I said, talked about that last week when he did come, all who are thirsty. And really, we, we focused on that word all because it's for everybody, right? It's for everybody. Doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, if this is your 50th year in church or if this is your first day, you are, you are part of that all. Come. And we, we learned last week that that first word come was a little bit different than all the other words come in, the, in that chapter. And if you remember, that word come was poorly translated and really translated as what? Hey! hey or yo! Or hey, hey, hey! <laughs> I have a different translation over here, yeah. Uh, if you saw Goonies, it's hey, you guys! But either way, it is saying, hey, listen up! I got something important to say. Right? Isaiah starts this chapter by saying, listen up. I need your attention. Come on, let's do this together. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to just go off topic for just a second because I was mentioning Tom talking about this last week. And I'll tell you this, I'm excited about doing this because I love Tom. And I know we jab at each other a lot up here and have a lot of fun with each other and kid about each other and stuff like that, but he is a solid brother in the Lord. In two days, I'm going to celebrate my two-year anniversary here, which has just been a blast so far. Stop. I didn't have any gray hair before I came here. I'm just saying, you people crazy. But anyway, you're my kind of crazy, and I love it. I'll be celebrating two years. Not only is it two years of just hanging with you awesome people, because I do, I love you guys. My wife and I, two years ago, fell in love with this place, and we just fall in love with you guys more and more each week. We really do. I love my brother Tom. It is great to sit with him as a brother in the Lord and minister with him to you guys and for you guys and with you guys. And it's great. He's a good man. I've learned a lot in the last two years. So I'm going to just give him that, and then when he makes fun of me, he'll feel bad. 
Because you're going to be like, oh, last week he said really nice stuff about you. But I mean every word of it. And let me tell you what, I cannot wait for the next two years, 20 years with you guys. We're going to have a ball. We're going to do some good stuff. And today we're going to do some great stuff. We're going to continue with Isaiah 55. And um, so last week we talked about come all who are thirsty. And I want to kind of reverse even further back to the beginning because I always like seeing what, how does someone get my attention, right? At the very beginning of this chapter, he says, hey, but what does he, how does he start out? So let's look at Isaiah 1. 1 and 2, the very beginning, he says, The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reign of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I want to point out a couple things about this. First of all, he says the vision. And what he's saying there, this is not Isaiah speaking. This is God speaking. I'm just writing it down for him, right? And he's saying, this is the vision that I got, Isaiah. And he uses his full name here, Isaiah, son of Amos. That's like the first name, middle name, and last name all together. He's taking this seriously. He's taking responsibility and saying, this is important. This is the vision that I got from God, and I'm writing it down, and I'll take responsibility. That's heck of accountability right there, isn't it? And then he says this. I love this part. He calls as his witnesses the heavens and the earth. In the cosmos, in everything that is, there are two things. Earth and everything else, right? You're either on the earth or you're in the heavens. And so what he's saying is, I am counting on everything that God created to be my witness as to what I'm saying. This is important because years and years later, or before, sorry, before, let's go that way first. Years and years before, Moses said this exact same thing when he established his covenant with God. He said the heavens and the earth will give witness to that covenant. So this is critical, and every person, every Jew of that time reading that went, man, he's going back to the covenant. We ain't messing around here, folks. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're just going to dive right in and see what he has to say in, uh, in verses 3 through 5. He says this, Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you the unfailing love I promised to David. See how I used him to display my power among peoples? I made him a leader among nations. You also will command nations you do not know, and people unknown to you will come running to obey, because I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this day again, and we thank you for your word. We pray, Father God, that you would nourish us with your word today, that you would open up our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear what you would say, to listen and know what you would say today. Get our attention, grab us. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come and you will find life today, we're talking about. But 
But I'm already alive, you say. Again, there's more to living. Come and find life. He's inviting you to something so much more than an existence. He's inviting you to live, to really live. And you know, it's kind of funny, uh, a few years ago, and actually many years ago, the, the term was, I need to go find myself. Remember that? Hey, I, I hear you're going to Europe for like a month. What's going on? I need to find myself. Hey, I hear you're doing a road trip for like the next, you know, summer. What's going on? I have to find myself. Well, I won. There you are. <laughs> I think what the thing is, I need to find my purpose. I need to find life. And we do all the craziest stuff in the, stuff in the name of this, and yet it's so simple, it's almost difficult to wrap our minds around. It's almost too easy. Wait a minute. In life, if I want these kind of rewards and these kind of things, I have to work hard for them. And here's God saying, oh, you want life? Here you go. Okay. And we feel almost guilty taking it. We feel like we owe him something or we have to do something special. And God's saying, no, 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 just take it. So we're going to explore that today and what that means for us. Uh, We'll go ahead and we'll start here. Right there at the beginning of verse 3. Come to me with your ears wide open. In other words, what he's saying is, don't just hear what I'm saying, but listen. Don't just hear blah, 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 but listen. It, It denotes a level of attention that will bring us understanding. It will bring us understanding and figure out what he's trying to say. What he's saying is, hey, look, I got something very important to say, so listen up, because your life just might depend on it. In fact, you know what? It does. It does. Your everlasting life depends on this, and this is good stuff. A few years ago, and I've told this story a little bit before. I'm going to rehash it here, though. Sorry for the rerun. Uh, A few years ago, I gave my wife, for her birthday a trip to go skydiving. I love my wife. I don't want to see her fall out of an airplane, but she wanted it. So therefore, because I love her, I, I, I bought her a ticket to go skydiving. So we drove up to, to Wilmington, Ohio, to the airfield there and, and uh, got her all checked in and registered. She put on her little blue jumpsuit and went, and it was like really cool and everything. And you sign like the 87 disclaimers saying that you'll sue them if you fall out and die and all that good stuff. And, and we, we proceed from there to the hangar uh, with the other dozen or so people that are going to jump out of that perfectly good aircraft at some point that day. And so we go to this hangar, and there are dozens of blue jumpsuits everywhere of people like, I'll give you 150 bucks to jump out of that plane. Anyway, there's a guy up there, and he goes, okay, here's what's going to happen today, folks. And he gathers everyone together. He goes, listen up. Listen up. Listen up. Ears wide open. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to go, we're going to approach the airplane. As we enter the airplane, blah, 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 blah. Because after that point, that's all I really heard. Because blue jump people are up there. I'm like outside. There's airplanes going by. I'm like, hey, that one's pretty. You know, I'm, I, I, you don't take me places like that. And uh, I guarantee every single one of those blue jumpsuit people were listening. And they were hearing. And they were understanding what he was talking about. I didn't care. My life dep- didn't depend on it. But theirs did. So there's a difference There's a difference. It's comprehension. He goes on to say this. Listen, and you will find life. 
He's saying, man, I've got something that will change you forever. It's going to mess you up like crazy, but it's going to be awesome. See, listening here is active. It's an active word. It's not just about like a passive occurrence. Okay, we're just going to, you know, it's noise, whatever. It requires some action to pull it in, to comprehend it. Hear the word of the Lord. Repent, be saved. We're going from there. This book was written like 700, 730-ish years before Jesus was born. This is, in a nutshell, the gospel foretold before Jesus was even born. Listen, and you will find life. Hear the good news. God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you, and you will find life. This is what this whole section really boils down to, by hearing, acting, on it, receiving. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. With you. You. That word there is the plural you. It's all y'all. Doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, tall or short. It's everybody. This is for everyone. This is the all y'all moment. It's for everybody. I will make a covenant with you. And he talks about the covenant. We're going, okay, what covenant is he even talking about? I don't get it. Well, of course, we know covenant. If, you know, if you've heard that word before, a lot of you, if you're married, you've heard it before because you're standing at the altar and the pastor tells you to make a covenant with that person. It's a promise. It's a promise on steroids. It is the ultimate promise. It is digging in deep and committing to one another. It's the promise of promises. And the, the particular one Isaiah is referring to is a covenant that God made with David. In 2 Samuel 7, 15 through 16, he says this, But my love will never be taken away from him, King David, he's speaking, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Here's the covenant. You ready for this? Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This covenant, this promise is repeated in 1 King 8 and Psalm 89 also. What he's saying is, you ready for this? Okay, David, someone from your lineage, from your house, will establish a kingdom here and on in heaven that will be eternal forever and ever. And guess who was from the line of David? Jesus Christ. Whoa. That's cool. This is the prophetic word. Jesus is coming. He's coming to reign. And he's coming to reign forever. And I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. I could use some unfailing love because love does fail us sometimes. Love of people. Anybody ever had someone fail you? Okay. It hurts, doesn't it? I mean, it really does. You know, I mean, there's that people who let you down who you kind of know and stuff, and you're like, that kind of hurts. And there's people who you dearly love. And when they let you down, when that love fails you, man, it's a kick in the gut. It hurts so bad. It just crushes your soul. And this is saying, wait a minute, my love is unfailing. And he's saying, I'm going to give it to you. The unfailing love that I promised 
to David. I will never give up on you. My love will never give up on you because I never gave up on David even when he did crazy stuff, right? It's funny, you talk about David and, uh, and you know, one of the first stories people talk about is like David and Goliath, right? We all know that one. And they're like, yeah, then there was that thing with Bathsheba where, you know, kind of liked this chick, killed her husband, married her, lying, cheating, adultery, murder. David was probably like, you know, like he was probably like in his 60s going around, oh, not the Bathsheba story again, great, oh my goodness. Keep bringing it up. They, you know, David sinned. Guess what? He was a man. He was a human being. He wasn't perfect. God's unfailing love here was not so much about David and what he did, but the fact that God gave him something, which was his unfailing love. It's not about us. We don't create our own worth or worthiness. That comes from God. When people put you down, when people say you're less than worthy, well, maybe you are. But my worth comes from God the Father. And he says I'm worth it. He has, un- I can tell you, what, I'm leaving right now. He's given me unfailing love, just like he promised to David. That's pretty cool. I don't care what anyone else says. And you know, those promises sometimes are hard. We look, at, we look at the Bible and you can read David's story in a couple of hours. I mean, you can read from the time he was a kid all, of, all the way up to his death in just a couple few hours or so. And we look at it and go, man, look how God was so faithful and he, he did these promises for him. Some of those promises took years to come to fruition. We get impatient if it takes a couple, I get impatient if it takes a few days sometimes. You know? People look and they point at Jeremiah and go, man, he was, per, he was promised. So, yeah, it took 70 years to fulfill a promise. And we get impatient, but God is always faithful and his love is never ending and never failing. Second Peter, he writes this. Second Peter 3.9, if you want to know. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. See what they're saying there? He ain't slow. It's kind of you, okay? That's what he's trying to... It's a nice way of saying that. Instead, it says, he goes on, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Maybe he's trying to teach us something when we go through those things. I don't know. But his promises always come, sometimes not in our timing, but they always do come. All right. See. See how I use him to display my power among the peoples. God uses David to display his power in all walks of his life. And I I love that we just talked about one of the parts of his life. But God shows up and does some incredible things. And the very first time we see that with David is when David was first picked to be king. And most of us have heard this story if you've been in church for a while. If you haven't, it's kind of something like this. There's a guy named Jesse. Jesse has eight sons. A prophet named Samuel is told by God, hey, go here. Jesse's got a son that will be the future king. You need to go find him. I'll tell you which one it is. The prophet's faithful. He goes to Jesse, says, bring me your sons. And out of those eight sons, all seven come. Because David's just some teenage kid out in the field checking out the sheep. 
playing his harp. So they go one by one by one, starting at the oldest. No, that's not him. That's not him. That's not him. No, 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 no. And they're like, is there any more? Oh, there's David, but I mean, he's just a shepherd. He kind of smells like sheep, and he's like a teenage kid. Why would they pick him to be king? This is why. But the Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God displayed his power through David by picking one of the most unlikely candidates for king. A kid. A shepherd boy. Just a little while later, David is called by his dad to take provisions to his brothers who are fighting in the army against the Philistines. He says, take this bread and cheese, which I guess they're having grilled cheese that day, out there, and give it to your brothers and bring it to the commander and tell them we're supporting them, we love them, and have a great day. And so he goes out there. Well, by then, they had already been fighting for over 40 days. And this, every single day, this ginormous guy named Goliath comes out from the Philistine army and says, bring me a champion. And they don't. Then he says something nasty about Israel, and he says something nasty about Israel's God. Well, here comes David. He's a teenage kid. He's got his cheese and his bread. And he hears it, and he's like, wait a minute. Why isn't anyone doing anything about this? He's talking smack about our God, the God of the universe. Why are we not taking this guy down? So what does he do? He goes out, not dressed in armor, not with a sword and spear. He goes out in a shepherd's boy clothing with a couple smooth stones and a sling and slays, slays their champion in the name of the living God. God displays his power in some of the most unlikely of ways and in some of the most unlikely of people. That's cool. That's good news for us. Because that means we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be the best looking, the tallest, the strongest, the mightiest, the most popular. We just have to be willing. He continued to display himself as David became king and won battle after battle after battle. And you can read about that uh, in 2 Samuel 8. And they list these battles. And uh, we'll get to that in just a second because it's really important to, to know that. But I want to go through this first. David was a man after God's heart. He was chosen as a teenager to be the next king of Israel. And of course, that made his life really easy, very simple, and smooth riding the whole way, right? Yeah read the book. That's not how it happened. Instead, the, the acting King Saul tries to kill him. He hunts him through the wilderness day after day. What's God doing? God, you've chosen me to be the king. The current king's trying to kill me. What's up with that? God was molding David. He was chiseling off those hard edges. He was creating in him a warrior a king, a servant, a worshiper, a godly man. 
And that's what was so important. Because he made him a leader among nations. Now, how does this apply to us? Anyone running for president in a couple years or anything? Okay. Okay, just check in. Um, the point was that David was well known. He was known to his peers. His God was known. See, there were other nations that said, okay, well, let's go to war against Israel. No, because I know that king, and I know who he serves, and we will die. Right? And they did, one after another after another. The battles did not go well for those that came against the king of Israel, who served the ever-living God. Finally, there was a guy, uh, a, a king named Tohu, who was a king of a place called Hamath, and he heard that David had defeated all these armies. So I love his, his style. He goes and he sends his son with gold and silver and bronze and says, can we be friends? I would too, because he was known, and his God was known. It wasn't about David necessarily, but they knew who was on his side. Like David, i got to ask this about myself constantly. Am I known among my peers? Are my actions known among my peers? Do people see me and see, wow, God must be on his side because look what's happening. Or do they look at me and go, man, does that guy not even know Jesus? People will know you by your actions. Will they know your God by your actions too? And that's the thing I have to constantly check myself for on a regular basis. Continues to say, you also will command nations you do not know, and peoples unknown to you will come running to obey. This is the one that gets a little hairy for us in today's society. I'm not commanding nations, and especially ones I don't know. I don't like, you know, call up, hey, Kyrgyzstan, how's it going? You want to come for lunch? You know, I, I don't do that. But what the point was, was that God is fulfilling his covenant in this, through Christ who lives in each one of us. And people are drawn to this. People are done, drawn to good life. So what does it look like? Let me tell you what it looks like. Galatians 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what it looks like. That's what people are drawn to. That's what people run to. Man, I don't know what that guy's got, but I want some of it. Yeah? Me too. Me too. Can you see how appealing that is? We need to get brochures or something with that on. Someone should write that in a book. He finishes with this line in this section here. Because I... The Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious. I think we just sang that. I've made you glorious. Now, where he's talking about right here specifically, he's actually pointing directly to the death and resurrection of Jesus. By the death and the resurrection of Jesus, ascending into heaven and made glorious, sitting at the right hand, that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. But it applies to us because that same ever-living Christ, the Messiah, is living right here inside of us. And he will make you glorious 
possibly even magnificent. In Matthew 5, this is one of my very favorite scriptures. Jesus is, is talking, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, and it's one of his most famous sermons in, in the Bible. He says this, You are the light of the world. You. You are the light of the world. What does light do? Light brings life. You are the light of the world. You bring life to the world, Lara. You bring life to the world, Greg. You are the light of the world, Pat. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You bring life to this world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they place it on its stand and it gives light to all those who are in the house. In, your, in the same way, let your light so shine before men that they would see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. You are the light of the world. Not to be a light unto yourself, but that people would see your good deeds, the things that you're doing, and say, your God rocks. Give glory to your God because you are the light of the world. You bring life, and that is exciting, and you are glorious if you have Jesus living right here, right? That's good stuff. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up when I share a couple more things with you here because I'm going to give you something really cool. I think it's cool anyway. It is cool. Hey, okay. Acts, the book of Acts, 13, 32 through 34. It's the, the roots of the church. This is where it's all starting to happen. And the Apostle Luke writes this. You ready for this? We tell you the good news. What God promised your ancestors, our ancestors. Guess what? He has fulfilled it for us. He's fulfilled it for us. Their children... We are his children. He has fulfilled it for us, their children. By raising up Jesus, as it is written in the second psalm, you are my son. Today I have become your father. God raised him, Jesus, from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. Does that sound familiar from anything today? Okay. The fulfillment of the gospel is Jesus Christ. It's the promise that was made hundreds and thousands of years ago to a shepherd boy. And it rings true for us today, the unfailing love of Jesus. So how do we live life? Life comes through Jesus, by listening and receiving. And what do we do with the life? We share it. We let our light shine. This little light of mine, remember? I'm going to let it shine. Why don't you guys go ahead and play?